Thank you, Brother Wes, and thank you, choir, from back behind the stadium gates. Good to see you. If you have your Bible with you, I invite your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to continue reading in this great chapter as we're studying together this summer through the theme of standing firm in God's grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, I invite your attention there. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation, and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. May we pray together? Father, would you add understanding an application, an illumination to the words that we have just read. May they be applied to our hearts today in very concrete ways that will help us to walk in Christ Jesus. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Perspective is important. Perspective can change the way that you go about something. If you look at something a certain way, then it, it will change the way that you respond to whatever it is. It has been said that if you believe that you can or can't do something, you're probably already correct. Your perspective changes your behavior. Our behavior flows from our beliefs. If you have a limiting belief about something, it's probably going to keep you from striking out into some area. The way that you see something is very, very important. In fact, you and I can both be looking at the exact same thing from different perspectives. And by looking at it differently, we respond to it differently. Would you agree with that? That's about six of you. That's good, I guess. Perspective. I want to show you a picture, if I can, uh, of a very vicious animal located in various parts of the world, all around the world. And I want you to look at that and just consider that animal. Now I want us to look at it from a little bit different perspective. Not quite so vicious anymore. Perspective is critical. You might see something as dangerous in your life and, and move away from it, but perspective is, is critical. You've heard me tell this story some time ago about the man who moved into a nursing home, and, and everywhere he went in this assisted living center, this lady followed him around, and she stared at him, and it really began to give him the creeps. He, he could tell she was stalking him. I mean, just over and over again, she would look at him, and she would watch him. He'd go to the dining hall, and there she was staring at him. And he would go uh, down the hallway to his room, and she was there staring at him. And they would have some social gathering where they were playing games, and this woman was staring at him. And finally, he'd had uh, a belly full of it, and he went and he said, Ma'am, I, I need to ask you a question. Is there something, you know, that I need to know? Because you keep staring at me. And she said, You look just like my fifth husband. And he was taken back by that and said, Glory, how many times have you been married? And she said, Four. Perspective. 
I heard a great story of a doctor that said this. We're talking today about ego, and I loved this picture. He said, I removed your ego, and it turns out that is what was clogging your reality. Some of you can identify with that. Maybe you're thinking of somebody else. You know, ego is a very dangerous thing. An inflated ego can get us into all kinds of trouble. But so can a deflated ego, an ego that's not based in the reality and who we are in Christ. And I know a lot of Christians that live beneath the privilege of what God has for their lives because they don't live up to who they really are in Christ. Maybe you're there. Maybe you live a life of defeat and discouragement. And in fact, we're on good ground here today. You know, the national news media has made a very, very public display of at least two celebrity figures who have taken their own lives this week. Sadly, over the last two or three years, we've averaged almost 20 servicemen who have taken their lives a day. And that's not made the national news media. But, but I want to tell you, in harrowing times like we live today, it's easy for us to become discouraged and depressed and even come to that place. Can I just say this? We want to offer hope to you here at our church and through our church. We offer a variety of services of counseling. If you are finding yourself in a desperate place, call our office. Come see one of our pastors. We would love to connect you with help and get you through that time because there is nothing in the world that is worth taking your life over. And I want to encourage you in that. My, my heart has just been broken through this week as we've considered that idea that people are depressed and discouraged and troubled. And as we consider these words from 1 Peter, I find ourselves on good ground knowing that we planned this series out months and months ago and God would know what we would need here today. Right perspective can help you gain a clear reality. One of the greatest things I believe that can happen in the life of any believer here today is this, that you would begin to see your life through the lens of God's eyes, that you would see you as God sees you, that you could begin to understand how God sees you, it would set you free. In fact, I, I want you to think about this with me. This book is full of good truth about God, but it is also jam-packed, replete with verses about what God says and thinks about you. In fact, I want to challenge you this week as, as we're studying through the book of First Peter, as you read through various parts of Scripture, take the Bible, begin to underline or highlight places that the Bible speaks truth that is now true about you in Christ. Because sometimes we really don't believe it. And, and if, if you and I could get to that place where we would read through the Bible and underline those things and, and consider those things that are now true about us, it would change our lives. Our perspective, our belief can change our behavior. Would you agree with that? Can I just confess to you? Personally, I, I don't always see in me what God sees in me in His Word. I struggle with that. I think we all do. There's a, a common struggle. But here's a reality that I want us to see today. It's right there in the middle of your notes. When I see me like He sees me, I can bless the Lord at all times. When, when I see me like He sees me, I can bless the Lord at all times. This, in fact, is borne out through our text of Scripture today. We can bless the Lord at all times because of His view of us. We're born into a living hope. The, the most important thing you and I can discover is God's lens in our lives. Now, last weekend we began a journey through 1 Peter. 
If you remember, we studied two verses. We looked at just the salutation, just the introduction, the greeting. And if I could sum up last week, Peter is writing to a group of people who are facing tremendously hard times. They are being persecuted. They've been scattered out all throughout the Roman Empire. And these group of Christians ex- uh, experiencing extreme circumstance, scattered and, and dealing with this struggle... Uh, He writes to them and encourages them. But I want you to see the very first thing he says to them after he greets them. We just read it, but let's look at this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read that statement with me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In, In some translations, it simply says this. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to those words. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a Greek word that is only ever used about God. He alone is worthy of all praise. As we sang, He's worthy of His name. He's worthy of His glory. He is worthy of all the praise that we can give Him. And yet when Peter writes these words, I'll just confess, I read them as somewhat insensitive. Peter, these people are struggling. Don't you know what they're going through? Peter, these people have been beat down and their family members have been killed or imprisoned and they have been tortured and beaten in the name of Rome and the government has put its boot on the neck of the people of God and there's a great persecution. We read last week that it started there in Acts 8 at the time of Stephen stoning. From that day, the word says, there was a great persecution. Peter, don't you know what they're going through? And here you are wanting to give praise reports. Here you are wanting to say, God is worthy of praise. Have you ever been there? I, I, every once in a while, find myself a little bit salty in the middle of this. We're in a praise, uh, we're in a prayer meeting. We're gathered together and, and everybody's just sharing all kinds of miserable things. So-and-so had a wreck and so-and-so got a bad diagnosis and so-and-so lost their job. And somebody says, I've got a praise report. And you look at them and you just kind of say with a smile, what meaneth thou this? I mean, you look at them and, and, and now you don't do what you want to do because you're filled with the Spirit of God. But you want to just get up and love them close. You know what I'm saying? You just want to smite them in Jesus' name every once in a while. My life is falling apart. What do you mean you've got a praise report? What do you mean you've got something good to say? What do you mean? Well, here he says God is worthy of all praise. He has shared with them in that introduction that they are scattered, but they are chosen. If you remember last week, I said we don't belong here. We belong to God. And because of that, he can now say God is worthy to be praised. If I had to sum up last weekend, I would say it this way. I want to put this on the screen, and I want us to read this one together. Everybody, here we go. Nothing is happening in your life that is not filtered through the sovereign plan of a loving Father and under the control of the Holy Spirit. Folks, that's what the Bible says about you. That's what the Bible says about me. Nothing is happening in my life that is not first filtered through the sovereign plan of a loving father. When he said to them, you are God's chosen people scattered, he was saying God knows right where you are. There's not a circumstance, a challenge, an obstacle, a relationship, not a day, not a second that God is not fully aware of exactly where you are. And there is nothing happening in your life and in my life that is not first filtered through the sovereign plan of God. And when I see me the way that God sees me, 
I can bless the Lord at all times. Think about that with me. If not, I'm going to struggle to bless the Lord. I'm going to struggle to come to this place of saying he's worthy of all praise. Go back to our text and let's just read it again slowly and see this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with a great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day. (laughs) He he says some incredible things here about how God sees you. And so here's what I want us to do, church, for the next few moments. I just want us to walk through how God sees us from these verses. And as we do, you will see that Peter is not at all being insensitive, but he's building their confidence in the fact that the God that they serve, the God that has chosen them, the God that has a plan for them, has given to them everything that they need to have confidence that he is worthy of all praise. I don't know about you, but there are times that dark clouds come into my life and they shadow the goodness of God. They cause me to question, God, why why is this happening? What are you up to, God? I don't see your hands. But he gives to us some powerful realities. And I want us today to see three realities of who I am in Christ. And these are things that God sees, and I want you to begin seeing them. Number one, we see directly from the text that my past has been dealt with. My past has been dealt with. I love this scripture. It literally says in past tense, he has caused us to be born again. Past tense. God has made us to enjoy fellowship with him, but very Early on, since the book of Genesis, we understand we've been born without a relationship to God. In fact, let's take just a little bit of time and go back and look at why this occurred. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. God created man and woman. He placed them in the Garden of Eden, a symbol of their relationship. They had goodness and bounty all around them. They enjoyed fellowship and relationship with God. And then verse 16, the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 2. But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you are sure to what? Help me out. You are sure to die. So you would anticipate if you read in verse 18 that they killed over dead right there on the spot, right? They did die. They died spiritually. They were separated from a holy God. They lost the capacity to have a relationship with God. Look with me. Turn one more chapter over. Genesis 3, verse 6. Look with me, if you will. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Now, before you start throwing stones toward Eve, men. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. 
him. He ate it too. She ate and then she gave it to him. He let her be a guinea pig. He let her go ahead. He didn't stand up. And she tried it and she didn't immediately die in his eyes. She didn't physically die. And so the Bible says in verse, uh, moving on in 7 and 8, at that moment their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees. Again, I thought that they would die. Now they're hiding. They did die. They lost the ability to have the relationship. In fact, if you will, look toward the end of the chapter, chapter 3 to verse 23. We'll put it on the screen. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. And he sent Adam out to cultivate from the ground which had been made. See, now he's out of the presence of God. He is pushed outside of that relationship. In verse 24, after sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden. And he placing a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, that's all well and good. But that happened a long, long time ago. What does that have to do with me here today at Hardy Street Baptist Church. I'm so glad you asked that question. Turn with me to the New Testament book of Romans. Romans chapter 5 verse 12. Romans 5 12 and we will put this one on the screen as well if you need to see it. When Adam sinned the Bible tells us something significant. Sin entered the world. One man Adam the whole of earth was covered with the entrance of sin. Now it says this, Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to who? To everyone, for everyone sinned. Every person born since Adam inherited the nature of Adam, dead to God and alive to sin. We now have, we're without the very capacity to enjoy a relationship with him. Uh, we were created for that relationship and now we're born dead spiritually. Now, some of you say, well, I, I don't know if that's the truth, preacher. I'm not sure that I believe in that. Let me just encourage you to take a quick visit to our preschool ministry. It's called the Faith Factory. It's right back here. If you go back there, I promise you we are not teaching them how to be selfish. We are not back there teaching them how to take toys from their neighbor. We are not teaching them how to scream, mine and me. No, those things just come how? naturally wait a minute listen to the theological statement that you just made they are acting according to their nature which is sinful all of us have sinned and because of that theologically we have now come into this world dead to God but alive to sin we're dead but Peter is saying I know you're facing difficult times, but you need to praise God, and here's why. Go back to the text with me. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. I don't want you to run past this, church family. As we study 1 Peter, this is some of the richest uh, theological ground that we could walk on. I don't have to hope that I'm in the family of God. I don't have to wonder about being in God's good graces. I've been born again. The Bible says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God has made you alive through Christ Jesus. We have been born again. 
I, I hope that that doesn't just pass by you. Well, I, I would hope that you would understand that you would see that God did this for a very specific reason and for a very specific purpose. By His great mercy, He has caused you to be born again. It's not because of who we are, it's because of who He is. Because of His incredible character, His limitless compassion, God has made us to be born again to a living hope. Not because I'm lovely, not because I'm lovable, not because I'm worthy, not because I've earned it, but because of His grace, according to His grace. And that sets me free in this. If I didn't earn my way into it, then I don't have to sweat and struggle and worry about earning my way out of it. That ought to make a dried up dead Baptist want to shout. Amen? Think about that. I have been saved according to His mercy, and He has caused me to be born again. I simply received that gracious offer that He gave, and He says to them, God's worthy of all praise because He has dealt with your past. I would bet that there's somebody that walked into this place today with a past. In fact, every single one of us have a past. Your past may have been dark and dreary. Your past may have been a long time ago. It may have been last night. I don't know where you are in your walk, but in Christ Jesus, your past has been dealt with. And as a believer, you can look upon God as worthy of all praise. Why? Because. He has caused you, according to His mercy, to be born again to a living hope. Now, here's how it all fits together. Listen, since Adam and Eve, we've all been born into this world with a nature of sin, dead to God, alive to sin. Jesus came into the world as the only qualified substitute. He, the sinless Son of God, took all of your sin upon Himself, and He died. What did we inherit because of our sin? Spiritual death, separation. That leads to physical death. We will all die. That leads ultimately to eternal death. And Jesus took on himself all of the sin that we inherited. Spiritual death. Separated from the love of the Father. Physical death. He died on a cross. And for you and for me, he rose again victoriously. And because of his rising, we have been saved. All the death that I inherited was swallowed up in Christ. But we haven't been born. Look at the text again. We haven't been born again because Jesus died. If Jesus had only died, if he had stayed dead, we'd be in trouble. The Bible says we've been born again because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. The Bible says that we have now been born again because God raised him from the dead. It's right there in 1 Peter. And he's saying to them, a people that are hurting and scattered and struggling. Anybody here hurting or scattered? Anybody here dealing with depression? Anybody here dealing with anxiety about life in general? I, I think that's become the norm in our society, and we're so comfortable with it that it's just become normal. Well, we're just anxious. I turn on the news and watch the reports, and my heart just aches. And theirs did too. But Peter said, Blessed be the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. All praise to Him. Why? Because your, your past has been dealt with. You ought to walk out of here saying, I'm born again because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If, in fact, you are in Christ. When I see me the way God sees me, I can bless the Lord at all times. There's a lesson in ego for you. It's not because of me. It's because of Him. Number two, I have a glorious future. 
God sees it that way. In verse 3, he caused us to be born again. But look a little further on. Now we have an inheritance. What a powerful word here. Look with me to the text. We have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of decay, of change. What a powerful thing. We have an inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved, kept, all the descriptors of it. An inheritance kept. My future is glorious. When I finished college at the University of Southern Mississippi, I moved down to New Orleans. And not long after I'd been there, only in fact a month, I'd been living in the dorms. A little church in Pearl River County called me to be their pastor. I was the very first pastor that I'd ever had. And it was an intimidating deal to walk into that tiny little church that very first Wednesday night. I walked in there, and I was going to interview with the pastor search committee. And there was a sweet little lady that was there wiping down the tables in the fellowship hall. She's the only person I saw. They had finished their Wednesday night meal, and they were moving on to prayer meeting. And I was going to meet in the back with the, the committee. And I was expecting her to say, you know, just in sweet southern vernacular. I mean, here's this woman in southeast Mississippi. And I'm expecting her to say, hey, howdy. She didn't. She said, hello. And I looked very awkwardly at her. She was a war bride from London, England. She had come over with her husband, married a serviceman, and she very, very proper and very British. Miss Bet. Her name was Betty, but we just all called her Miss Bet. And Miss Bet became one of my dearest friends and allies. You see, every time we had potluck at the church, one of the things that preachers are notorious for doing is walking around and talking to people as we're waiting in the line. So a lot of times I bat clean up. Well, I, with potluck, you're taking chances. You know how it works. There's the quick and there's the dead. You may run out of food. And if you're not quick, you may be dead. But Miss Bet would always say, Dear Pastor, I have kept for you a plate. I knew what that meant. When she said she'd kept back for me a plate, she didn't mean a plate. She meant that she had gone through the line during Sunday school while everybody else was away. She was our church hostess. And she had collected about four or five plates. I mean, she'd piled them high. And she had wrapped them up, and she had put my name on them. And she put them on a special shelf in the kitchen, and she issued a death wish upon anyone that was to touch the pastor's plate. Pastor, I have kept for you a plate. And I said, glory to God every time because she knew what I liked and what I didn't like. And she got to the place where she would just load my wagon. Can I tell you when I come to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4, and I read that God has kept for me an inheritance, it's like God is looking at me and at you and saying, I don't care what circumstances you're in right now not that he doesn't care but he's saying let me just tell you I've already dealt with your past you are confidently born again in Christ Jesus but just wait till you see what I've kept for you he's saying to us I've kept you a plate back glory to God I've kept for you a plate and it's a plate that will never rust it'll never tarnish it'll never fade it's undefiled it can't even be touched by the corruption of sin it's kept for me in heaven my future in Christ is glorious and so is yours if you are in Christ think about that it's reserved and kept God because of his grace we've been made alive to him and his mercy has caused us to be born again I get to know him I have the opportunity to enjoy him but he says hey Scott I've kept a little something back for you just 
wait. You may be going through hard times today. Can I just say this? God has something held back for you by himself. An inheritance. I, I love the word inheritance. I wish we had time to really just investigate. Let me just give you definition. An inheritance is a portion received on the basis of one's birth. What did verse 3 just tell us? We have been born again. Because I've been born again, I have an inheritance. If that doesn't fire you up, something may be wrong with you. Listen to the words of Scripture here in in the, the writing of another letter. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are joint heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. You see, inheritance doesn't much mean anything. Unless the one that's giving the inheritance has got a little something. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've gotten that bill before. Right? The inheritance doesn't mean anything unless that person has got something. God says that you and I in Christ are joint heirs. The the word heirs there, literally joint heirs, means inheritance together with. It's a compound word. It says that everything that is reserved for the Son is reserved for us. That's mind-boggling. That he is reserved and kept for us as joint heirs with Jesus, fellow heirs, everything that belongs to him is yours and mine. Now let me say it this way. My inheritance is not because of my performance as a son, but because of my position as a son. And you know what causes that to be true? Grace. Grace. An earthly inheritance, you know what, if a child is not acting right, if they're not showing loving relationship, they may not be receiving a portion of that inheritance. They may not. My my friend Dave Kiesling tells a powerful story. He works with a ministry about legacy. And he tells a story of his son Mark who was living a, a lifestyle that was far against everything they believed, and they wrote him out of the will. In fact, he wrote a letter. He knew that if he left an inheritance for his son in that state, it would kill him. And he wrote a letter and said, because of your actions, we are not leaving to you a portion of that which is ours. God could write all of us out of his will. None of us deserve anything from him. But according to his Great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. You see, God looks at us and he sees our past as being dealt with. God looks at us and he sees our future as glorious. He sees our inheritance that he's kept for us. He has taken up residence in our life in this imperishable, undefiled, unfading inheritance. What I want to tell you is this. It's all throughout our study. You and I can stand firm today in the grace of God, in our relationship with Him. Number three, I want you to see this. God sees my present is secure. Again, straight from the text. I I have been born again in the past. I will receive an inheritance in the future. But look at verse 5. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power. This is an ongoing 
active verb. It's present tense. God is protecting you. I would imagine that everybody here at some point in their life has a story of the protective hand of God. Anybody? I just tell you, I'm thankful that God didn't let me die before I came to know Him, before He let me live. I did some knuckle-headed, bone-headed things, and God protected me from me. He spares us, but God protects our lives, and He's protecting us by faith as we hang on. This word protected is a military term. It literally is the picture of a military leader sending a battalion to go live in an area and occupy that area and to protect a place. You see, while I'm here on earth, God is garrisoning me. He is sending my protection all about, and not by an army, but by His power. He's taking up residence in you and in me while we're here. So he's saying simply to the the people here hearing this letter all throughout this region scattered, God is worthy of all praise because God has dealt with your past and that's how he sees you. God has given to you a glorious future and that's how he sees you. And God this very day is protecting you, taking up residence in your heart by his Holy Spirit to minister grace to you and you and I can stand firm in grace against anything that comes. Let me just tell you one more quick thing. The picture of this protection is not only to keep outside forces from coming in. He's protecting us from getting out. And I would bet that most of us understand this. Even since coming to Christ, there have been times I have found myself Wanting to run away. And God never, ever lets go. He holds me. Jesus said these words. Of those that you have given to me, I have not lost one of them. How does this happen? Verse 5 says very simply, through your Now, we close it up at the end of this statement with something pretty powerful. Look with me to verse 5 one last time. And through your faith, God is protecting you by His power from now until when? Look at it. Until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Wait a minute, Brother Scott. I thought when I trusted Him, I was already saved. You were. We're going to talk a good bit in Sunday school next week about the tenses of our salvation. We were saved from the punishment of sin. We will be saved from the very presence of sin. Today, we're being saved from the power of sin. We, we are, but it says here, God is protecting me until that salvation is revealed. It's like God still has something that he hadn't quite shown us all of. You may think that you're, when you got saved, you said, man, this is as good as it gets. No, it's not. It gets better and better and better. And one day there is coming a day when we will experience the fullness of His salvation. It says that He has kept it until that day. There's coming a day that He'll reveal it. I love that word reveal. It's like He's going to throw back the curtains and show us the fullness. Pastor and theologian A.B. Simpson said this, and it melted my heart this week. Listen to these words. Someday he will sit down with us in that glorious homeland and we shall have the ages to understand the story of our lives. 
And he shall read it over and over again to us, this old Mark Bible. And he will show us how he kept all of the promises. And he will explain to us all of these mysteries that we could not understand. He will recall to our memory the things that we have long since forgotten. And he will go over again and again and again with us the book of life. Throughout all the ages of all eternity, it's just going to get better and better as we learn of the depth and the richness of who God is and what God has done. You see, when I see me like God sees me, then I can bless the Lord at all times. The Bible says, all praise be to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter said that to people suffering. He didn't say it insensitively. He said it to you and me and said, and here's why. Because when God looks at you as a believer, he sees that your past has been dealt with, your future is glorious, and your present is secure. Maybe you're not living in that existence. Can I hold out hope for you today in this? All of this is predicated on that phrase, through your faith. Through your faith. If we live by faith, One day we're going to see him show us a salvation that's ready to be revealed that has already been given to us. We see it veiled and we'll see it revealed. If you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never started a relationship with God, can I invite you today to trust the Lord Jesus? Can I invite you to give him your very heart and your very life, to begin to do it his way and not your own? You've tried it your own way and where's that led you? The Bible's clear. There are two ways for us to live. And if you live in Christ, don't live beneath your privilege. Begin to see yourself as He sees you. That's what the Word says about you. In just a moment, we're going to sing a hymn of dedication, a hymn of decision. And we're just going to sing. It's just a song. And as we sing that song, we want to invite you, if you need to make some kind of decision, we have prayer partners. They're members of our staff. We call them encouragers. They'll be lined up here at the front. They simply want to share with you Um, how God can impact and intersect your life, how you by faith can trust Him and He'll change your life. So when we begin to sing in a moment, I'm going to invite you to get up from wherever you are and just come down and take one of them by the hand. They're going to walk out this door, and right next door there's just a little room, very simply share with you what it means to know God. Let's all stand together as I pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word of powerful encouragement from your word. Thank you, Lord, that our identity is wrapped up in Christ and we are who you say we are by faith. Lord, I pray that today someone would trust you, someone would come to you, someone would repent of their sin and turn from their way to you. And I pray that that would happen for your glory and their good. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all sing together.
What a great morning we've had in the presence of God. I pray blessings upon you this week. I do want to encourage you to come back and be a part of Bible school starting tomorrow night at 6 o'clock. And we would love to have you here. Pray for the Bible school. Pray for each night. Thursday night in particular, we'll be sharing the gospel. Next week, some of the kids that are participating will be leading and singing and worship. It's just going to be a great, great time. So you come and be a part of those things. God is moving and stirring in uh, pretty amazing ways here in our church family. We're seeing some uh, remarkable things happen. I had a young man last week that came after the service and said, God was reading my mail when he wrote 1 Peter. He said, that's what I needed to hear. And a trusted Christ. And so we're continuing to see God working in the hearts and lives of people. My heart is so full as I think about us studying this great book together. Because I know we can stand together in God's grace. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite John Rogers to come and dismiss us in prayer. He is our deacon on call this week and in service. And grateful for our deacons and all the ways that they serve our church. So John, if you would dismiss us with a word of prayer.